What's up, everybody? Jay Miller here, back again, this time from the Remote Squared office. Um, normally, I have my office, but that's being used right now, so we're in another location. Hopefully, you can't tell because I refused to change anything about this upcoming interview. My guest today is someone that I have been following for years literally the queen of automation the the most famous person in the automation world that i've ever interviewed every time i interview someone else they go you have to book this person i want to know what is going on in their heads uh, she is a co-host of many wonderful ios shows and automation shows including automators ios today and nested folders uh, she's also written books on both productivity and shortcuts, and we're going to dive deep into that. But it is Rosemary Orchard. Rose, how are you doing today? Uh, well, I think I'm. I'm. Uh, everything's going to my head suddenly. Queen of automation. Wow. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll I'll get out my ermine cloak and, and my crown. And uh, yes, hi. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I, I truly mean it when I say there are so many people that are like. Have you interviewed Rose? I don't. I, I don't see the episode where you've interviewed Rose. You should really interview Rose. I'm like, I, I'm working on it. Like, I will. We will figure it out. We will make it happen at some point. Yep. You asked me. I'm here, and I'm. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> so, I I did my best to give an introduction. Uh, Rose, please fill in any gaps. Let people know anything that I may have missed, or even just a little bit more about you. Uh, well, I mean, um, a little bit of background about me for, for people who don't know is uh, I did not start my journey in the automation world um, in a way that people might usually think about it. Uh, I think I probably got sucked in through through Merlin Mann, and I'm sure actually many of us did get sucked in through Merlin Mann. But I used to be a teacher, um, and uh, through a series of uh, fateful steps, good fateful steps, that is, uh, I ended up... Uh, you know, um, working at a university and automating a bunch of stuff. And that was after I'd spent a solid year messing around with shortcuts and all sorts of things there. And it turned out that I really like automation and I like building into it as many things as possible. I think it was, I'm trying to remember the first time I heard your name. It was on one of the mini Apple podcasts where they were talking about someone who had built a library of different automations. And I think it was called like Rosemary's Orchard or Rose.Orchard. Automationorchard.com. It's there still there. Um, okay. It's it's very difficult to update just because... So the way I, I wrote... Uh, so I built Automation Orchard. It's a website. You can find it. And it's got links to automation posts all over the place. Um, but uh, the way I built it essentially uh, was extremely inefficient. I had Python scripts to scrape um, the RSS feeds from a whole bunch of websites. Um, and this was written in Pythonista. Um, and so it gr uh, grab all these RSS feeds and stick them into JSON files for me. And then I used shortcuts to go through and parse the JSON files and spit out um, a markdown file, which then became part of the website. Um, and 
This seemed like a great idea at the time. With the benefit of hindsight and a lot more programming experience, I would have done this incredibly differently. I probably would have thrown a bunch of stuff into Airtable, actually. Um, I, sorry, people. It's not a podcast with me if it doesn't talk about Airtable at least once. Um, but, um, but uh, you know, there's there's the benefit of hindsight with all of these, you know, big automations that you do. Um, but yeah, I, I created a, a little website called Automation Orchard, which has links to a lot of the automation things that other people have done around the internet um and so that could that can be a great resource some of it's you know it's it's not been updated in quite a while um that's something that i have put on my someday maybe list just because i mean google's pretty good you, you can find a lot of stuff on google um so so you know people are could be missing out hugely if the website isn't updated um but it it is a, a perhaps a good resource for finding different places that you can find resources so let's talk about the shows. I I, I want to start with one that I don't catch as often because the others I, I listen to, um, I guess, on the biweekly rotation that they happen. But let's start with mm-hmm. iOS today. To my knowledge, you're like the only person that works for Twit that's like across the the pond, as we would say. Yeah, I, I think I, I think I might be. I mean, I know that Twit has so Twit gets a lot of different regular um you know co-hosts in um let's call them uh because you know it 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 rotates and so they usually have a key anchor person for for every single show so for iOS today that's Micah because he works for Twit um but um then you know I'm 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 a regular on the show as well and if you if you look through the people page and the people page is incredibly long but most of those people are um you know they're they're um actually either in person there or they uh, the very least live kind of around the california area and then there's me all the way over here in the uk it's kind of crazy <laughs> yeah and it's it's definitely a good thing to see and i mean there's a whole it wouldn't be a conversation with me if i didn't bring up diversity and inclusion in some ways um but i do think that it's been good to see the amount of growth that I've seen in a lot of the networks in terms of diversity and how that is changing. Mm-hmm. And I I will say that I think Twit actually has had some shows for the longest that have had great representation for people of color. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not a I'm not the biggest Twit person, not for any reason of them. It's mostly a time thing. Uh, but I I'm been super excited to see you in this and seeing you in iOS today and seeing the things that pop up on Twitter, but also you venturing out and doing your own stuff with projects like Nested Folders. Talk about that one. Yeah, well, Nested Folders was born out of the OmniFocus 3 beta. Um, and so um, Omni, Omni Group tend to um, roll out their betas in in small groups. So they'll start, obviously, internally and, and so on. And then they roll it out to a small group and a, a larger group and larger group and larger group because they, if they have you know a bug and 20 people report it they don't want twenty thousand people who are all queuing up to be on the test flight to report it i mean ios won't let that many people beta test an application anyway but you know so they so they roll it out in small groups and uh, i was very fortunate i i guess i signed up super early and you know was very nice to the omni group every time i sent them a support email um saying hey i found this thing and it doesn't quite work like i would expect it to here's how you can reproduce it um 
And I got to be one of the earlier beta testers for that. And I met two people. Um, well, I met lots of people um, when, when I was beta testing. But two of the people I met uh, were Brian Dotson and Scotty Jackson. Um, and so th- th- the OmniFocus 3 beta uh, series basically spawned a book and a podcast. And I was talking uh, to Scotty for ages about launching this podcast. And to start with, it was both that, you know, we didn't really have the time to do it at that moment. Um, and one of the things we bounced back and forth when we were looking to set this up is, you know, do we want to be part of a network? And if so, do we approach networks or do we just start independently and let them approach us? And then we realized that we just kind of wanted to try our own thing. I mean, I was already part of Relay for automators. Um and, um, you know, the, I love Relay, um, and Relay are fabulous and they, they do a lot of support for automators, which I really appreciate. And Twit are great as well. You know, I, I love being on iOS today, but I thought, you know, it's going to be kind of fun to just do our own thing where we don't have to answer to anybody else. You know, it's just going to be him and me. Um, and maybe further down the line at some point, we might get an editor in to do the editing, but Scotty does an amazing job of that. Uh, he said that he wanted to take that on. And I said, if you're really sure, sure, go for it. Um, and uh, I'm really glad that he did because I do not have the patience uh, to edit the podcast. I, I already have to edit screencasts and everything else. And so I spent quite a bit of time doing that. Um, and uh, yeah, so we kind of just ended up going, yeah, let's do our own thing. We want to do this ourselves, you know, roll our own thing. So I set up the website and the hosting and we got uh, another OmniFocus person, Josh Hughes, who designs perspective icons for OmniFocus. Um, and yeah, that's not his day job. That's just something that he put out there. We really liked that. So we approached him and said, you know, can can we pay you to create some artwork for us? And he did, uh, which was really great. Um, and I, I really liked that. And we just thought, you know, let's let's do this ourselves. And uh, so we did. And uh, it's working pretty well. Uh, I'm I'm feeling more productive every time we record an episode. <laughs> For me, I always felt like it would be easier to do it myself. And like eight years later, I'm like, please, networks, pick me up. Like I don't, like <laughs> I don't want to think about that stuff. I just want to get on the mic and record and and have these conversations yeah. and then send it to someone else that can do all of the other stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think it very much depends on on the network as to whether or not they'll really do things for you, especially with automators. I had a huge advantage with David Sparks because he already had two podcasts at that point and he knew how this stuff worked. And obviously he had an in with Relay. Um, and so, uh, you know, they, they, they were great and they just sort of set everything up. So, you know, the first episode I, I turned up, I recorded with David uh, and David, you know, did some magic with the audio files and sent them, you know, a test episode and they liked it. We went to WWDC. I talked to to Mike um, and uh, everything was great. Stephen would have been there, but he he had something else that he had to deal with uh, crop up last minute. Um, And then WWDC happened and David and I sort of looked at each other and went, well, that was cool. So I'm just going to throw out everything that we do, we've already done and we're going to start over because, you know, WWDC has blown it out of the water. Um, and uh, that turned out to be the best possible timing and they made it incredibly easy. So I didn't really know what went into launching a podcast aside from I knew all the technical stuff that was involved and I'd watched um, there was a podcast a long time ago, uh, the podcast Answer Man. I think it was Cliff Ravenscraft or somebody, and he had like an eight ser- a series of eight videos that told you how to record a podcast. Um, and and you know 
edit it and ship it and stuff like that. And so I remembered that and I dug that out and went through it and realized that, you know, I was going to be doing things differently and took some of the things I'd learned from Relay, like using Libsyn and stuff like that, and just went with it and thought, okay, this this works. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's both a lot of work and it's also sometimes not a lot of work, um, whether or not you do it yourself or somebody else does it for you. Because if somebody else is doing it for you, then they can come back to you and be like, ah, but there was this thing that we needed and can you provide that? And Oh, but I recorded that two weeks ago. I have zero memory of this. Let me go back and re-listen to the entire episode. <laughs> Where if you do it yourself, then you'll know at the end of the episode, yeah, we're going to need this, that, and the other. So, yeah, there's there's advantages and disadvantages for sure. Well, speaking of automators, I want to talk about that one. But of course, I feel like it, it's kind of obvious what it's about. So I want to talk about it from a different angle. Having been on that show... And having talked to you, I know that there's a lot of planning and automations that are kind of a part of that show. So please go into detail a little bit how automation has played a part in making Automator. Well, uh, I mean, automators wouldn't exist if it weren't for automations. Uh, specifically, uh, there, Mac Power users used to have a Facebook group. Um, and, uh, I created a thread there, which was basically asked me to make a shortcut for you. Um, and, uh, people loved it. Um, I think these were actually workflows back in the day. Wow. That was a long time ago. So I was making workflows for people. Um, and it was sometimes really simple things like, Hey, uh, save the, save what the URL on your clipboard to Instapaper. And sometimes it was more complex things like a mileage tracking shortcuts, saving data to Airtable. Um, and so, you know, shortcuts sort of formed a basis and shortcuts does still play a role a little bit. Um, whenever I have a show idea, I have a shortcut um, and that pings off to uh, Integromat and saves it into, um, actually, I think it saves it into Airtable and uh, it also pings it into a, a Slack uh, discussion between myself and David. Um whenever I have um, an, uh, an idea for a show topic. Um, but nowadays what happens is David and I sit down sort of once a month and we plan and we say, hey, so this is what we're going to talk about over the next month. These are the people we're going to interview. Um, we put the data into Airtable and then magic happens in the background. Basically, Zapier sits there and watches Airtable and goes, oh, hey, you need a show doc. Here, let me create a show doc for you. Ta-da! Here's your show doc. Um, and that's based on a template um, that, that I've got set up um, in, in Zapier. Um, and uh, it puts different things there based on whether or not it's a guest or not a guest uh, show. Um, and then, um, you know, it's up to me to, you know, fill it with content, well, me and David. It's, it's never just one of us. It's both of us that do that. Um, and so, you know, um, there's, you know, automations on my end to sit down and you know, have an hour or two to prepare for the show and just sit there and play with things. Um, and I have uh, a drafts uh, document that's creative for every single episode where I can stick stuff in. Um, and uh, then, you know, I I, I have, uh, I'm actually, I'm experimenting a bunch at the moment. Um, and uh, previously I was using Keyboard Maestro for this where I was trying to get it to open specifically the draft that I wanted and the correct Google Doc. Uh, I have settled for the time being for opening the correct drafts workspace and the Airtable because Airtable has the link to the right Google Doc. Um, and uh, what the correct uh, draft and the correct Google Doc is depends very much on which particular episode are we recording. And sometimes we record episodes out of order. 
don't tell anybody. Um, so, um, you know, have, having an automation know that I'm recording the episode out of order is a, that's a little, I mean, it's not beyond me, but it's a little bit too much overhead really, um, for what is realistically a problem of I click two things on my screen. Um, and sometimes, you know, sometimes automation is worth it for clicking two things on your screen. Sometimes automations are not worth it. And for that particular one, I decided it was not worth it. There was a conversation I was having with a uh, fellow podcaster, Kelly Gamont, and we were talking mm-hmm. about that whole idea of like how much automation is too much automation. And we yeah. got to a point where it was like, this has an API we can work with the API. We can make the API do things that we need it to. This is WordPress. <laughs> like, we could automate some things in WordPress, but it may just be easier to create text expander snippets and type in a couple of letters and then have everything fill out for us. That way, if something changes, we don't have to try to relearn how the how WordPress works. Yeah. Yeah. So my solution for automating something like WordPress, WordPress does have an API. My solution is Zapier or Integromat <laughs> because they can do a whole bunch of things. And if something changes in the WordPress API, they're going to fix it because they've got thousands of people using those, um, you know, uh, little integrations that they've got. Um, whereas, you know, me, I'm just going to go, oh, it's broken again. Uh, I can't be able to fix it. Maybe, maybe tomorrow. Um, cause it's WordPress. You know, who really likes spending that much time with WordPress? That's why I'm currently in the process of, uh, trying to switch my blog over to Jekyll because you have markdown files, you run it and it creates HTML on the other side. So it'll speed everything up for people as well as make my life hopefully easier. I'm crossing my fingers. Maybe I'm just chasing, uh, you know, chasing automation ideas or chasing, uh, things because it sounds fun, but, uh, we'll see. Well, I think there's something to say about the fun in it, but I want to give us enough time to talk about this last part, which I think is something that is largely overlooked uh, when people think about Rose. You're also a developer, so there is uh-huh. this weird thing around automations and shortcuts and using tools like Zapier and Integromat where People want to often believe that these are tools for the non-technical, which, again, they are, to me, I say they level the playing field very well. Um, There's a lot of stuff that I use Zapier for that I just don't want to have to write the code to do, um, similar to what you were saying. But also, I think that there also becomes this level of like, if I know how to code, but I also know how to choose the right tool for the job, I can do even more. And I think a good example of that is looking at what you were talking about with, you know, automationorchard.com where someone who maybe doesn't think as much like a developer can say, "Okay, I can collect all of this stuff in an RSS reader and then now I have links to everything." But then the developer goes, "How do I make this so that I can share it with the world and make it presentable for people?" And I've I've been saying this a lot lately that the switch between automator and pro user to developer for me is often in the mindset of how do I make this repeatable? How do I make this shareable? How do I make this well-documented so that other people can Mm -hmm. implement the same things? Go into detail a little bit about how being a developer has 
affected how you create automations in both, I guess, professional and personal life? Uh, well, I mean, in, in many ways, it has made me focus on coding less as a automation solution. Um, and I think part of that is because I'm sitting there at a computer with a keyboard all day and uh, I've got one finger on my left hand, which if I uh, try and type for, say, 12 hours plus, would like to complain very loudly or rather painfully about things. So I tend to end up, um, you know, looking at non-coding solutions just because that way I spend less time typing. And also, you know, let's be honest, most people aren't developers. If you tell people, yeah, so if you install Homebrew and then you'd say, you know, brew um, install XYZ or whatever, they're going to just look at you with this look on their face like a rabbit in the headlights and be like, yeah, I'm not doing that, um, which is, is a good thing and a bad thing. I mean, personally, I feel like if, if you want to really dive into coding stuff and automation stuff on your Mac, then Homebrew is great. But I can also see why for your average user, you know, you're, you're not going to want to do that. Um, and I've been on, on both sides of that. And as somebody who part of my job for the last five years was deciphering an API with little to no documentation, um, which actually the documentation we had only existed because we ran the API through a script to generate documentation. I'm very aware of, yeah, absolutely no information for people is really not helpful. I know one of one of my failings, especially when it comes to things like shortcuts, is I don't really document it. I tell people, this is what it does. You feed it this information, and here's how you feed it that information, and then it, it does magic. Because, I mean, documentation is is one of those things where, on the one hand, you can never have enough of it. On the other hand, if you go into the level of detail that some people really want, you will spend more time documenting the shortcut that you only spent five minutes creating than you would have creating another 50 shortcuts or something. Um, and I actually, back when Workflow existed, I had a little automation that would pull um, all the steps out of a workflow um, from from the web view, um, have little icons there and everything, and then I could just add a little explanation to each individual step. And that was great. When that existed, that was easy. Uh, nowadays, theoretically, I can parcel the information out of, uh, out of a plist file. But I mean, it's, it's a lot of work. Um, and the reality of it is there's maybe one person who actually goes through and is looking for that kind of documentation. Most people will just dive into the shortcut, break it, re-download it, compare it, and go, oh, okay, so that's how it works there. Um, and so I, I feel like being a developer has probably, you know, improved my automation abilities because I'm very aware of, okay, so I could build my own API to do this. But being an automator has also helped me because I know, yeah, sure, I could sit down, I could build my own database and, um, you know, use an MVC controller or, you know, whatever, um, or MVC framework, sorry, um, to do this. Or I could just use Airtable and Zapier and I'll be done in 10 minutes. Um, and so I think that that has helped me because on the one hand, there's part of me, there's always part of me that goes, I want to do this myself. I want to code my own solution. Um, but the other part of me is incredibly lazy or perhaps efficient is the better word. Um, you know, take your pick. <laughs> it's, it's, it's can be multiple choice if you want. Um, and just goes, yeah, so I'm just going to do the easy option because also the easy option means I can explain it to somebody else. Um, and 
to an extent, you know, stuff is already done, not just for me, but for other people. Especially, this is one of the reasons why I do love Airtable. It creates a document, uh, it creates documentation for your Airtable base. So if you look at the API documentation pages, you select which base you're using and providing you've got at least one record in each of the tables in that base, you've got API documentation. And that means that, you know, somebody who's there trying to figure out how to use it with shortcuts is going to have a much easier time than they will, you know, with some random web service that they would love to integrate with to collect, you know, pollen data or something, you know, whether or not they need to uh, make sure all the windows are closed and their air purifiers are running today. Um, that's going to be more difficult. I absolutely agree. And even on the iOS side, I think that there's so much involved with the the mindset of like we need sandboxing and we need to make the the ios ecosystem safe i have been so in favor of give me a terminal even give me a terminal emulator like one that is fully supported that doesn't have access to anything outside of its little environment unless you know apps allow for it and allow me to actually write programs i mean we know that ios is a unix based system like we know that all of these are unix based systems which means with a little bit of work people should be able to run ruby php perl python all of these i just realized how many programming languages start with a p that's a very alliterative thing mm-hmm. there um anyway <laughs> um I I I want their I want people to feel like they have options and I I totally get like there are going to be very few people that want to write code on their iPad and have it go out to their web server. I mean, I think that they absolutely should be doing that if only because um you know there's demand for it. Um, and even if there isn't a huge amount of demand right now, um, well you know they're wasn't a huge amount of demand for, you know, the Mac before they created it. So I think they have to, you know, to some extent be willing to gamble um, on these things um, because, you know, that's what made Apple Apple back in the day. Um, and that's why now we've got seven different colors of iMac. They're, you know, rolling the dice to see what people really do want. Um, and I mean, iMac-wise, it worked for me. My purple one, I just got a notice from DHL shortly before we recorded the show that says that mine is shipping. So it's going to be with me at least six days earlier than planned. I'm hoping because DHL are the ones that emailed me that it's actually going to be here this week rather than June the 8th, which is what it currently says. Um, but, um, you know, the 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 thing that um we we have seen is apple did buy workflow and they made it not they didn't just put it on ios as an app that you could download from the app store with the apple name on it they then brought it in and put it on the operating system and built a whole bunch of stuff that just happens through shortcuts shortcuts is integrated into the health app now with the sleep thing so you know you can have shortcuts appear on your home screen while it's in sleep mode um and the fact that they have been willing to do that i think speaks volumes you know they didn't put apple events into ios from the beginning which is what makes apps like automator work on the mac and they did stop maintaining automator give or take i mean i know there are still people out there working on the team there are still people out there working on apple script and things like that um but they aren't talking about those with fanfare on the stage at wwdc not anymore at any rate um which is a real shame because i feel like a lot of developers 
would love to have better support for automation in their apps if they felt that Apple was going to talk about it. Um, and, you know, Apple have like occasionally done editorial pieces in the App Store on iOS showcasing apps with great shortcut support and things like that. Um, and there's an entire section inside of shortcuts in the gallery where you can discover shortcuts from your apps and automations from your apps. Um, and so I feel like we're going to get that back on the Mac at some point. I'm hoping it's sooner rather than later, because at the moment, a lot of automators on the Mac feel like they're feeling pretty left out, at least from Apple's perspective. Of course, great tools exist, Keyboard Maestro, Hazel, etc. You know, they're all doing amazing things. Even Devon thinks built an entire AI into their into their app. But, you know, there's there's still a lot that could be done on the Mac that is more difficult to do for your average person right now than it is on iOS. And I know Apple has said before, you know, if you want a bike, you buy a bike. If you want a car, you buy a car. If you want a truck, you buy a truck. Um, you know, and if you if you want all three, you'll have all three. So you have your iPhone, your iPad, and your Mac. But I feel like it would be good for people to be able to accomplish the same thing on every platform. Um, you know, be able to automatically send an email with today's date in it at 9 a.m., well, I can do that in shortcuts on my iPhone. I can do it in shortcuts on my iPad. In Automator on my Mac, I can't. I can't include the current date. And it, it's little things like that, which I think leave people feeling uh, abandoned, for want of a better word. Yeah. Uh, to solve the, the programming on an iPad problem, um, uh, at one point, I used to travel with uh, a travel router, uh, which was a little Hutu router about the size of a matchbox powered by a mini USB, uh, micro USB, and a Raspberry Pi 0W, which had a list of known Wi-Fi networks that it could connect to, uh, including the one broadcast by the Hutu router. So I plugged both of those into a battery pack, connect to that Wi-Fi network from my iPad, and voila, I had um, a, a, a Linux machine that I could program on in the terminal. That's actually how I built Automation Orchard. I spent a lot of time on planes that year. Um, and I spent a good chunk of that, you know, doing editing and stuff on on the website, which PHP-based website, uh, from my iPad using a Raspberry Pi, because that's how I could get into the terminal when I didn't have internet. Um, and then I could, you know, commit things to Git, and then I would actually push when I was back on real internet. Um, but it you know, that that definitely, I mean, it wasn't, you know, the heaviest of workarounds, you know, the tiny matchbox size router, Raspberry Pi Zero W, neither of those are particularly big. They fit even in women's coat pockets. Um, and, um, you know, and a battery pack with two USB ports on was fine. But it still, you know, it was a hack. And now look at the iPad Pro. Okay, my new 12.9 inch iPad Pro has a better display in it than any of the Macs. Um, except the XDR display, uh, because it is an XDR display. It has the same chip in it as the new Macs. My new iMac that's coming is going to have the exact same specifications, one terabyte SSD, 16 gigabytes of RAM, and an M1 chip. Like that, it, They're literally going to be the same device, just one of them's going to be purple and sit permanently on my desk, and the other one is silver in a magic keyboard and you know travels around the house with me and you know to places when I need it to. So I would love Apple to have a developer mode or something, or at the very least, put Xcode on my iPad. You know, even if they can't let me compile the the app or something, at least let me code. Um, and, you know, 
find, you know, have my iMac at home be able to do the rendering or something if they can't do that on iOS. But I think they could make that happen. Um, it's, it's a case of what can they make happen? Can they make it happen? Yes, they can make everything happen. Will they make it happen? That's the real question. I feel like that would be a wonderful developer story if Xcode came to iOS, like iPadOS um, even. We'll start We'll start with the larger screen. And it just through iCloud, through, through all of the technology that it already has, it would allow you to test the code, you know, on a Mac somewhere else doing other things. And then even just present the results to you because everything is syncing through iCloud, which, again, I have no idea how that architecture works. So I may be you know, wishing something that isn't necessarily possible. But if any company in the world has the resources and the knowledge to do it, I I would trust Apple too. But let's wrap this up because we have an after show to get to. Rose, thank you so much for a wonderful conversation. Thank you for all of the insight. Thank you for that really in-depth like look at how you're doing stuff at Automators. I, I have ideas now of like how I can make my planning better. So I'm really looking forward to like digging into that, but please let people know one more time where they can get in touch with you, where they can find you hanging around the internet. Yeah. Well, uh, the, the best place to look for, uh, you know, the different work that I do is rosemaryorchard.com that has links to podcasts, books, um, and a load of other stuff as well. Um, and you can also find me on Twitter and micro.blog with the username Rosemary Orchard. And, uh, you'll frequently find me hanging out in the Relay FM Discord if you're already there. Um, but I am consistently lurking in the Obsidian Discord and a whole bunch of others. Um, and, uh, of course, there's plenty of forums out there where if you look at the username Rosemary Orchard, then that's going to be me. Everyone listening, this has been Rosemary Orchard. Like I, it, it met and exceeded all expectations that I had. And as always, it is wonderful to hear just an amazing amount of knowledge around the automation space, around the development space, around the Apple ecosystem as a whole. So please take advantage of that. Reach out to Rose when you have questions, talk to her in the forums, uh, listen to the shows, do all those things. But I have to tell you, the show's not over yet because in a few seconds, Rose is going to be taking over asking me and driving the converse uh, asking me questions and driving the conversation wherever she wants so with that said this has been the pit show as it normally is i've been your host jay miller and you can find more about what i'm doing around the internet at kjay miller of course check out the website kjaymiller.com and check out the youtube channel which we're still trying to get that custom url we've got the subscribers but google doesn't want to give it to us so we'll figure it out in time But this has been The Pitch Show. I've been your host, Jay Miller. And for Rose and myself, uh, this is it. And Rose, are you ready for the after show? I think so. I mean, I've I've got a fancy hat ready, just in case I needed one. I I wasn't sure. There was no sign on the invitation as to whether or not I needed a fancy hat. So I brought one, just in case. It's it's your show. So if we (laughs) need fancy hats, we can do fancy hats. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, uh, we could do. Um, But for the time being, I have a couple of questions for you. First of all, being incredibly important, did you order one of the new Apple Watch straps that they recently released? I haven't used my Apple Watch in probably two years. Oh, wow. Okay, so you definitely did not order one, or at least I hope you didn't order one. That would be a complete waste of money. (laughs) 
I did not. I I don't know what it is. Like I I still have a series zero, and honestly, I wasn't using the series zero by the time the series four came out. Right. So it was just kind of like, do I do I upgrade? And I was like, but I don't even use it now. Um. So I just kind of showed a little bit of self restraint and said, not this time. However, okay. my my wife did get a new Apple Watch SE. I don't think she knows about the new watch band so i might have to take a look and show her some options uh we have anniversaries and birthdays and stuff coming up so um it would be good to have some ideas of what to do for those yeah well i i have uh i've got the new pride uh braided solo loop on the way and i'm it's gonna be my first braided solo loop i've got a regular solo loop the sport one uh but uh i'm I'm looking forward to this because it's colorful and it's bright and of course it's supporting a great cause um so i'm i'm pretty excited uh to see what that's like and i also like the new watch face on it um but i'm curious if you're going to try another apple watch then at some point because I had the Series Zero as well, and yeah, I felt like I didn't use it a huge amount, and uh, it, I'd skipped a couple of generations um, and then got a new one, and now I find it is incredibly useful for me. It is a tool which genuinely makes my life easier. Um, now, of course, I've built a whole bunch of automations into that, so I mean, I'm, I'm sure back uh, when you were using your Apple Watch, you didn't have things like uh, home run and push cut and stuff uh, prompting you to do things like turn lights on at certain times or, you know, do you want to watch a movie or do you want to have dinner um, and do things differently based on that, which of course makes it a little bit more fun. I could see myself going back to an Apple Watch. I am going to be doing a lot of travel soon, um, around the end of the year. And I know that it's, mm-hmm. it's one of those like comfort things. I don't necessarily want to always, you know, have my phone in my hand if I'm trying to figure out where I'm going or, or doing things. And that was one of the things I did enjoy about the Apple Watch was the like on wrist navigation. Uh, so yeah. as I'm getting ready to go travel and do my speaking stuff that I do, it would be nice to to have something like that to where I'm I'm not I'm supposed to be like engaging with people and talking to them at conferences and if I'm you know checking my phone every five seconds that doesn't necessarily make for an inviting person so just having those notifications come to my watch and I can you know either ignore them for now or you know do a quick glance and realize it's okay it's not that important and then just go about what I'm doing um, I I do see a good usage there. Um, Honestly, I stopped using it because I I wasn't going anywhere. So it, mm. it didn't seem like like okay, from from bedroom three doors down to an office, um not much of a need for an an notification system when I have an iPad, a a you know, 27-inch monitor and a MacBook that are all telling me the things that my watch would also be telling me. Yeah. Yeah. Now I have to say the Apple, which has definitely got smarter in that respect. So, you know, you can, it, if, if you're currently using your phone, it's not going to be notifying you about things except health stuff. Um, because, you know, those, those health things, um, you know, aren't showing up on your phone, like, you know, time to, time to roll or time to, um, walk reminders, um, and stuff like that. Um, yeah, definitely when you're traveling also just for things like you don't need to have a device in your hand to scan your plane ticket because it's on your watch like things like that that makes my life much much easier or at least it did back when i was traveling i think it's gonna be a little longer than the end of the year for me before i'm really flying places again but that'll be that'll be a uh, good when it comes hopefully <laughs> so my next question for you 
If you could magic any iPad app into existence, okay, and we're specifically talking iPad OS. The 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 idea here, not necessarily being that you would use it with with a keyboard and a trackpad, though those would be optional, um, but something where you could you know take advantage of that you know big screen size going you know from iPad Mini to twelve point nine inch iPad Pro. If you could magic any iPad app into existence that doesn't exist, what would you magic up? I probably am going to give the uh the people knowing me answer and that's i mean outside of a terminal again where i can just do all of my coding things mm-hmm. um i would probably say logic because Ooh. i am very jealous of the ferrite like hashtag ferrite hashtag edit on ipad gang um i i like ferrite however again i spend a lot of my time around my macbook uh so it's often easier for me and my my process is doing everything in logic with the logic keys key bindings and all that stuff if there was the ability to do that on an ipad and to work with logic projects you know seamlessly amongst the two that would be hands down the best now i guess the other option there is if ferrite comes out with a mac app before logic goes to ipad os um that that becomes a, a good question there of which one I would go with. I don't know. I would, I, it'd be hard to tell. Um, I know that Mike has talked about how, how freeing it is to use a touchpad. And I've thought about getting like a, uh, Wacom like Intuos or, or something like that to do mm-hmm. editing with the stylus. I just, I mean, again, it's one of those things of like, how much do I want to invest in one? workflow when ultimately the workflow that i really want is to just use my ipad and like again i would i would use my ipad for everything if i could it's just the things that i can't i wind up just going back to my mac for and down the road i've just eventually stopped trying because those big things aren't there and i mean there's a few things like keyboard maestro or, or bunch you know Things like that that I would love to have on iPad, but I get that it just doesn't make sense in a sandboxed world. So I don't even want to try to go down that road. Like they could exist, but they wouldn't necessarily be great. Uh, so I would say the the one that I could see being done that if I could just snap a finger and go, okay, there, look, now it's done. Now you can focus on other stuff. Uh, yeah, Logic is probably probably the front runner there. Okay, that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I hear from a lot of people. I mean. Ferrite is amazing, and I'm pretty certain that uh, Wuji uh, Juice, the people behind Ferrite, are working on um, a Mac application. I guess it's just one of those things where they're trying to figure out, you know, do they do they just throw the iPad app on the Mac and see how it works on those M1 machines? Uh, from experience, a lot of those, you know, especially ones that were designed for iPhone don't work very well. iPad ones tend to do better. Um but a lot of those apps don't necessarily work super well with that, which is obviously why they didn't just check the box or, un- you know, they actively uncheck the box to make sure that it, it doesn't, um, you know, ship uh, on-, on the M1s, at least to my knowledge. But yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's amazing how different uh, workflows can be based on, you know, where you are with the device. You know, as you said, you know, when you've got multiple devices in front of you, you're not going to 
pick up an Apple Watch and, you know, if you've got a Mac in front of you, are you going to reach for your iPad for things? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Uh, one tip I can give you um, is a CAD mouse might be uh, an, another way to help with editing podcasts. I know it's helping me with editing ScreenFlows. Um, it doesn't have specific integration with ScreenFlow, but it, it has scroll wheels and, and special buttons on it. So I can, you know, have those mapped to macros and so on. Of course, I've got my stream deck right here. Um, better. You know, it's sometimes it's it's nice to have a different device for things. Um, and uh, the cat mouse is working wonders for me there. I have so many unrelated questions about Stream Deck usage and, and how you're using Bunch, too. But I'll, I will definitely pick your brain on that later. Because in my mind, like you said, oh, there's a Stream Deck there. And it's like, great, Stream Deck. I just push a button and it does a thing. But then I often find myself just hitting the hot key instead. And it's like... I could have pushed the button and I didn't push the button. Um, so I, I'm I'm always interested to see like where the stream deck plays a role in people's automation because even when I program you know things for it, I find myself just not reaching up from the keyboard enough to justify like using it more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I recently got um, a, a USB switcher, so it's like a KVM switch type thing um, for for my work Mac and my home Mac um, so that I can have my Stream Deck switch between devices um, for me because I, I want to be able to use it at work and at home um, because, of course, being able to use the Stream Deck everywhere is, you know, maybe not an aspiration, but it's something that I definitely would like. Um, and, uh, hopefully this will, will help. Uh, though, of course, as we record, I've yet to actually, uh, start with my new job. So I'll see how much I need those 32 L uh, buttons with LCD screens, but, uh, or actually technically I, I recently learned it's one LCD b- uh, screen behind it. Um, and, uh, it, it just, uh, changes, you know, one button area on it, which of course makes a lot of sense, but yes. So you you do have a stream deck, but you find yourself not really using it right now. Yeah, I mean, my stream deck at the moment is very much um, controlled the lights in the office. I think that is 90% of its usage. Uh, turn on my um, lights if I'm, if I'm shooting a video or uh, just the overhead lamp, turn it on and off. Uh, the other usage... Uh, Every once in a while, if I'm in a Zoom call and I need to mute myself or like if I'm, you know, if I'm not really, I don't want to say not present, but if I'm not, if my camera's not on and it's like, oh, I didn't mute myself, like I'll just hit the button because it'll detect when I have Zoom open and it'll give me all the options and I'll just hit the mute button. Um, That's kind of it. Uh, I have a couple of aspirational like hot keys for drafts because sometimes I like being in that... um, uh, I forgot what they call it, like the Zen mode where it's only the typing area. Mm-hmm. Um, and then other times I, I do want the side panels open. So I have buttons that'll toggle all of those. But again, it's usually it's like just I'm already typing and I'm like, oh, I need that thing. Um, I'll just hit command one and then, you know, command shift F or whatever. And then I'm like already doing the thing when it's like, oh, yeah, I could have hit the button. And it's like, well, I mean, mm-hmm. I didn't hit the button. So. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. For for me, I found Stream Deck really wins where it's not just pressing a hotkey, where it could be pressing multiple hotkeys in a row or running a keyboard maestro macro. So I have um, some buttons in my, in my uh, screencasting um, 
profile, which are things like uh, a new movie, a new audio file, both of those in QuickTime, um, and also switching to slash opening specific apps to places. Um, and the beauty of things like the new QuickTime movie is theoretically, I know what the hockey is for a new QuickTime movie. Theoretically. Do I ever hit that darn hockey right? No. <laughs> and the other thing is, it's always I accidentally yep. click somewhere first. QuickTime is notoriously finicky. If you click somewhere that isn't like if you've not got any QuickTime windows open. And so this actually it's not press is not doing a hotkey. This is running a keyboard maestro macro, which says, Hey, if QuickTime isn't active, activate it. Wait until it's at the front. And now and also the 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 hotkey in QuickTime doesn't always work. Why? 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 Who knows? It doesn't matter. Um, but it, it doesn't click the ho- it doesn't type the hotkey. It does file new movie or file new audio or whatever the correct term is. Um, and so that, that fixes so many problems for me. Um, where now I can consistently press it. And if I were to press it right now, it would open QuickTime and pop up a new movie file and I just select the camera and be done with it. Um, which, you know, that's, that's living the hacker life. Yeah, I, I think the problem I have there, though, is I would use Bunch for that mm-hmm. and, and kind of in a similar way of just like, because I'm, I'm in that Alfred, you know, that Alfred lifestyle, it's like, I just type in B and then new QuickTime yeah. movie and I would have a bunch that just says open QuickTime and hit the hotkey. And, and I, again, I don't think that necessarily either one of them is, is the wrong way to do it. I, I think that's... I think they're both the right way to do it. Yeah, the, the the problem I have with my using my stream deck is I never I never think about it first. And I think that's right. that's the thing that I don't know if it I mean I've had this thing for like 6 months now and it's just like I don't want to say it's collecting dust cuz it's not. Again, when I turn on my lights in the office, it is the only thing that I use. Um but everything else is just like uh Alfred bunch does a thing or keyboard maestro does a thing or it's automatically doing the thing because you know keyboard maestro is set up to just say when this is at you know this time of the day or this time that something's happening just do all this other stuff um and and in my mind it's like i would rather have that happen than picking up my hand moving it forward and tapping a button for some reason yeah no i totally get that for me the the way that the stream deck has become much more useful is it's uh, very context-based. So I say, hey, I'm going to screencast now. And so I press the screencasting button. Um, and at this point, you know, nothing has happened on my Mac. Um, but then if I, I have I have a button which is start and stop, um, and it, 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 it just changes between red and green. And basically it just shows me what my current screencasting state is. So I'm looking at it right now and it's currently uh, red. And so it's telling me, you know, if I press it, I'm going to go. Um, uh, I should probably flip that around and see... Uh, but it doesn't really matter. But once I press that, then it it starts some things happening. It would do things like close Zoom and stuff like that because, you know, I don't have Zoom when I'm recording. So I'm not going to press any of these buttons right now. Um, but it's it's then giving me like a, a map of different ways I can go, but still be wearing my screencasting hat. Um, and I love Alfred. Uh, I do. Um, so the the last episode of Automations that came out as we record this was all about Alfred. Um <laughs> Uh, but sometimes I find directly interacting with my Mac is too much. 
Um, and I don't mean this in a bad way. I just mean it's so easy for me to get lost in a rabbit hole. Okay, this is why I have automations that will close my open Safari windows for me um, and stuff like that. Because otherwise, I come back to my Mac and it's like, oh, yeah, and then there is this tab. And six hours later, nothing's got done. Um, I bought another Tom Bin bag because that just happened. Um, and, you know, and all this other stuff. And there's just like this trail across the internet of where I've been and all the different things I've been distracted by when actually my intention was to sit down and screencast. And I found that by sitting down and looking first at my stream deck, I feel like I'm better in control. And I don't know, maybe I have a, a mild form of ADHD or something. Um, and so this is just my way of dealing with it. But it works for me, uh, which is always a good thing. Um, and more importantly, it makes me feel like I'm accomplishing things. Even though I know I can do all of this with my keyboard, I get distracted so easily. It's, it's a case of, you know, squirrel. Um, I recently watched Up again. Love that film. Um, it says squirrels everywhere. Everything is a squirrel. Um, but by just looking at my stream deck, you know, I've made it not the most exciting, but not super boring, um, each of these profiles. And so I just tap on one and, you know, I tap on the microphone or the camera or, you know, one of the multitude of other options here. But if I tap on the microphone, I get three choices. Automators, actually, there should be four here. I need to add um, a guest one. But there's automators, nested folders, and iOS today. And then if I tap on screencasting, I don't even get choices. It's just like, you are now screencasting what do you want to do with this? Um, and uh, that for me has made it much easier because I, I have considerably fewer squirrel moments. So <laughs> I, can, I count that as a win. That's something that I have been planning to do that I haven't yet, which is moving a lot of bunch commands to um, my stream deck for that exact reason. Because I, I, I think that I should say I do a lot of troubleshooting for Brett uh, in the bunch space. So there's there's often yeah. times where my rabbit hole is, hey, I tried this thing in bunch and it didn't work the way I expected it to. Yep. And then it's like now I'm spending an hour and a half like troubleshooting that and like trying to get all the log statements and like everything that I can to make, you know, a really good GitHub issue um, that so Brett can fix it and then go, oh, yeah, it'll be out. The fix will be out on the weekend. Um that said, I do think that to me, that exact problem that you have of, I want to push a button and it, it do the things that I need to. I think that's where a bunch in the stream deck can get along very well yeah. because like you said, as you're typing, um, I've tried to do that. I've tried to fix that a little with like the bunch Alfred, you know, workflows that like you start out with B and then you hit space. That way it's like it takes you away from all of the other distractions. But I've also noticed that a part of what Alfred does is because it likes to take you back into whatever you were last previously in, that can cause things that you want to not think about to pop back up. And mm. that gets annoying. And unfortunately, there's that's just how Alfred was designed so there's not really much that we can do about that um i think there might be a setting that says ignore that but i i don't know um i feel like a stream deck like you said it's it's it would be a really great story to go in and say i walked in i'm about to record a podcast i hit a single button on my stream deck the lights come on everything is set properly and then the bunch that you know, opens drafts, opens craft, opens audio hijack, runs the keyboard maestro workflow that makes sure that the right audio hijack or the right audio hijack export or I forgot what they're called now is selected. And then 
also opens up zoom opens up my calendar and does all that stuff like i hit that with one button and right now it's like i can do that by just saying alfred b start workflow and then i'm off to the races but it's often that level of thought of what do I have to do? And then in my mind, I'm not thinking about running the workflow. I'm thinking about like all of the steps or I'm thinking about the interview. Um, a good example of that is for this call. It's like I have, this is the weirdest setup I have and I'm I'm so not used to it, but I've actually moved craft in your website and like all of my internet searching stuff that I need over to my iPad. And then I have drafts, Zoom and Audio Hijack on my MacBook because I don't have the larger screen. And I actually like this. Um, that that might be something that comes away from this experiment. But uh, more than anything, it's like if I'm doing things in multiple areas, my brain isn't necessarily focusing on, okay, get first thing done first. Um, I tell people, I didn't make coffee today until 1130. Um, or not 1130. We started at 11. So 1030. Um, it's, I can get distracted very easily. Therefore, I need a button that does all the things because I need it to happen while I'm getting distracted somewhere else. Um, mm-hmm. Then maybe I can make coffee at a decent hour. But until then, I wind up working with my automations and then fighting with them because while they're doing their thing, I'm getting distracted because my hands are already on the keyboard and I'm already moving past what happens when the automation is done running. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's definitely something I've experienced as well. And that's where I have found the stream deck has been incredibly useful for me um, because it, it can do stuff. And also, you know, with other automations, you can make it have different things available at different times like keyboard maestro has an integration where you can have it set a button to have a particular icon at a particular time um and so one of the things that i am already programming uh in preparation of my new job is a is a keyboard maestro macro that you know um uh when um uh I have a stand-up at work, which, you know, will be a daily thing. Um, it will uh, show the button, but the rest of the time it won't show a button for that. So I won't be hopping into Microsoft Teams with that button most of the time because it's not going to show me the icon. It's just going to be blank. Um, and so, you know, I think it, it's it's nice to have the ability to hide some distractions from yourself. Um, and I found, you know, I can do a lot of great things by hiding all applications and macros to quit applications and things like that. And sometimes just good old fashioned, turn your computer off um, and don't let it reopen all the previous applications when you reopen it. But it's Finder still remembers the Finder windows. Come on, Finder. Uh, so I now have a, a an extra macro for shutting down my machine, which gets all the finder windows, merges them together, and then closes them uh, so that I don't have finder windows pop back up when I restart my computer. But yeah, I, I found it to be very useful. I'm I'm going to be curious. I'm going to be checking back in with, with you in a couple of months to see if your your uh, Stream Deck journey uh, grows uh, as as things go along, because I think you'll find, um, you know, with with a uh, you know, a bit more time. And of course, Bunch um, is is doing really well. I'm really pleased with how it's going. I've been playing with it a lot more since you spoke about it on Automators. Um, uh, I, as, as that, of course, evolves, I think it's going to get even better, um, especially with that Stream Deck integration. So uh, I'll have to look and see how that goes. I'm going to have to spend like an entire weekend just going through all of my bunches now that Brett's added conditionals. <laughs> um, yes. 
there's a lot of opportunity there and i'm i'm like i need i need to give myself time to like process what i'm going to do because right now right now i like using bunch is just like it's been such a game changer in how i operate yeah and i've started making that memory work but then at the same time i have often discovered that the way that i do things will sometimes break bunch but it's because i'm thinking harder than i need to right and once i start looking at it i'm like oh maybe i could just do this instead and it's like oh that was a lot easier yep. um so i feel like he just gave me a brand new sledgehammer and i need to like instead of just start swinging away i should probably take a look at what actually needs to be hit yeah yeah like that's the thing you you might have an amazing axe, but if you hit the if you keep uh, cutting the tree wrong, it's going to fall in the wrong direction and crush your house. Um, you know, and, mm. and you know, bunch is probably not going to crush your house. Uh, you know, unless you have some kind of crazy automation setup. Please be careful if you've got that. Um, but uh, you know, I think it's uh, worth taking a step back because I often find that with my automations, I get way too in the weeds and I massively overcomplicate things and then eventually I'll talk to somebody who is less developer than me and go oh, I really wish this thing would just do this and they say but why don't you just do you know this which is open the application like you don't need to check whether or not the application is open and whether or not it's in a currently recording state blah 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 just open the darn application oh yeah I could do that huh there's a wonderful um I get last thing. I don't want to. I don't want to take up too much time. And I know you might have other questions. There's a great um, keyboard maestro conversation about that because there's one app that does not support automation of hardly any kind, and that's Audio Hijack. Yep. I really need them to allow for automation stuffs because right now everything is look for an image and click it, and I don't like that. And I'm worried I'm going to break something one day, but. I actually used that idea to create the the mythical create a timestamp. And I know that some people have done it the way that they've done it before was when you start Audio Hijack, it starts another timer or just stores a variable that's like a time and then it gets a time diff and just presents that. My solution is it actually shrinks the Audio Hijack window as small as possible, clips it, and then crops out everything but the timestamp and then OCRs the timestamp. Um, so it works like 90% of the time, but when you do it, it's just like, it's so amazing to just hit a button and know that like, all right, the time said one, 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 four, one. So that's what it's going to show. And I'm like, all right, cool. Perfect. I did this at that time and then keep moving. Yep. Yeah, no, I, uh, yeah. So my, so my method is similar to yours, but with a few less steps. All that happens when I, when I want to get a timestamp while I'm recording a puck. Oh dear. Oh, I'm, I'm still here. My method when I want to get a timestamp and I'm recording a podcast is I have a button on my stream deck for this because this way it doesn't matter what other application I've got myself into, um, you know, and what rabbit hole I'm following as as I listen to the podcast, you know, so I've got, uh, in this case, I've got the craft doc open and some and some other links, um, including the bunch website. Um, and I have a button on my on my stream deck which is a Keyboard Maestro macro right now. It could be a bunch workflow. There's a whole bunch of options. It just activates Keyboard Maestro. <laughs> Uh, sorry, it activates Audio Hijack and then presses Command Shift 4. Um, now, I have a 
bonus um, in this in that my screenshots get taken with clean shot, uh, which means that it's then floating in the bottom mm-hmm. left. Um, and so then um, whatever happens uh, after. So actually, the, the next step in the macro is switching back to Safari for me and so that I can switch to um, the Google Doc um, or, you know, uh, it's, it's almost always a Google Doc um, for this. Um, and then I can type it in. But I, I often just copy the screenshot and paste the screenshot into the show notes. And then I go back later and I tidy things up because there's a, a copy button right on the screenshot with, with CleanShot, um, which means worst case scenario, I can give somebody a bunch of images and be like, it's all there. Just, you know, you'll, you'll need to read more than text. It's also an image, but I get a screenshot of the window. So I should perhaps consider OCR. I hadn't considered that. What service are you using for the OCR, by the way? Yeah, and that's, that's very similar to mine. Cause again, when it, it takes that screenshot, it, saves it into PaySpot as well. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, just Keyboard Maestro. It has built-in OCR now. Oh, yeah. That's a very good point. I keep forgetting that Keyboard Maestro has OCR. Um, but, uh, they, yeah, it does. Um, it's one of those things. When when you get really nerdy with some automations, you forget to look back at the feature updates every once in a while, and then you miss something huge. Uh, and I know I didn't miss OCR. I just uh, didn't have a use case for it immediately. And so it entered my brain and then left because squirrel, or actually, I think it was a lava lamp uh, that I was trying to automate. But now I have an automated lava lamp. <laughs> 